Hello, my name is Rob White. I'm currently Professor of Small Animal Veterinary Surgery at the School of Veterinary Medicine and Science uh, at Nottingham University. Hello, my name is Andrew Parry. I am a clinical radiologist at Willows Referral Centre in Solihull in the UK. Why did you choose this area for study? Both Andrew and I have been involved in the management of portosystemic shunts for probably over 20 years or so. Um, and during that time, we've seen a wealth of cases suffering from both intrapatic and extrapatic portosystemic shunts. The anatomy of intrapatic portosystemic shunts has been reasonably well described over the last 10 years, but the anatomy of extrapatic portosystemic shunts um, has proved more challenging. Extrapatic portosystemic shunts have often been described um, as a long vessel uh, flowing um, throughout the portal system, and we've never really believed that this is the case. We've always thought that the shunt itself is actually a short anastomosis between what is an essentially normal portal vessel and a systemic vein. Until the advent of computer tomography CT and computer tomography angiography CTA, this has been a difficult point to prove one way or the other. Importantly, CTA allows for the visualisation of the majority of the portal vasculature in a non-invasive manner. This in turn allows for the accurate description and identification of the vessels that are actually involved in the extrapatic portosystemic shunt. Why did this series of papers come about? This series of publications came about following the use of CTA in the investigation of extrapatic portosystemic shunts. Our exposure to a large number of shunt cases over the last 20 odd years has made us aware that the majority of extrapatic portosystemic shunts fitted into a number of classic morphologies. These were shunts entering the vena cava caudal to the liver, shunts entering a vessel that ran along the left side of the diaphragm and shunts that entered the azygous vein. It would be routine for us at the time of surgery to perform an intraoperative mesenteric portovenogram and also to record uh, each case's gross surgical observations at the time of surgery. The combination of this data with that of CTA allowed the classification of these three most classic and common shunt types to be more fully and accurately assessed. It became apparent that in nearly all instances the anatomy was essentially normal and that the anomalous connection between the portal vasculature and the systemic vein, be it either the caudal vena cava or the azygous vein, was a tributary of the left gastric vein. How did you go about doing it? Prior to the availability of CTA, IOMP, intraoperative mesenteric portography, or post-mortem corrosion casts were considered the gold standard for accurate classification of extrapatic portosystemic shunts. An IOMP will highlight only the vessels through which the contrast flows and so will not show many of the tributary portal vessels of the portal vasculature. The IOMP findings are also dependent on which vessel is used for the site of injection. This is most commonly a jejunal vein, although some workers have used the splenic vein in the past. The use of CTA allows for the accurate visualisation of the entire portal tract, thereby allowing for the accurate anatomical description of the portal vasculature in a way that could be reviewed by any number of people after the event.
Prior to this, anatomical description relied on gross findings at the time of surgery. These were not reviewable after the event and were reliant on a single surgeon's interpretation of the interoperative findings. We combine the data of gross findings at the time of surgery with IOMPs and CTAs where they were available to more accurately describe the anatomical venous makeup of the common extrahepatic portosystemic shunts seen by the authors since 2009. Why is CT angiography so advantageous when looking at this area of research? How has it changed the way we look at shunt morphology? So I guess my main interest in this series of papers was to do with the imaging components of it. And traditionally, I guess we always used to image shunts either by IOMP or by uh, ultrasonography. And, And both of those techniques have advantages and disadvantages. The interest with CT angiography is that it's a non surgical approach and provides really exquisite three-dimensional repetitive repeated detail um, of the portal vascular tree uh, in a way that perhaps ultrasound is much much less useful. Uh, It's not inhibited by um, patient movement because typically our patients are either sedated or under general anaesthetic and also it's not inhibited by uh, gastrointestinal gas or, um, or lung fields that actually get in the way of our field of view when we're undertaking ultrasonographic procedures. Another considerable advantage over ultrasound is uh, the fact that the images can be um, provided they're, they're obtained using isometric voxels the images can be turned around in any direction. And this is particularly useful, I've discovered, for surgeons who prefer to have a a kind of dorsal approach, a surgeon's eye view uh, of the CT images. And then also just kind of uh, slightly overlapping on on what Rob says, with ultrasound, the, the ultrasonographic study is highly dependent on the experience and expertise of that single ultrasonographer. And the report that's generated is very specific to how that ultrasonographer has done the uh, procedure. And, and this is not the case with CT angiography, um, which, uh, which allows scrutinization by um, third parties long after the uh, procedure has been undertaken. How is this so different to the classical approach to imaging shunt morphology? So I guess the first thing to say in answering this question is what was our traditional approach to to investigation of of shunt morphology? And I think it's it's not easy to argue against what most people would do, which was to consider conscious or sedated ultrasonographic examination um, and then interoperative mesoteric portography for those cases where a shunt was either visualised or strongly suspected but not visualised. So CT angiography offers something a little bit unique, I guess. It's, it's the closest we could get to doing surgery and examining the vasculature without actually doing that invasive procedure. CT angiography obviously has some other advantages as well. Um, timed 
uh, non-selective angiograms. So what I mean by that is that we deliver a, a bolus of contrast into a peripheral um, systemic vein and uh, time the CT scan so that we get maximal portal phase contrast enhancement gives us a huge amount of detail about the portal vasculature that, that perhaps we would never be able to get with ultrasound and, and to a large extent would also be difficult to get with intraoptive mesenteric portography. From my point of view, uh, the advent of CTA has been a revelation in the diagnosis of these cases. Specifically, the advent of CTA has allowed us to utilise data that we've accumulated uh, over the last few years um, with previous cases that we've seen uh, where we only had IOMP and uh, gross surgical findings at the time of surgery uh, data available. We've been able to combine the three sets of data um, and therefore uh, produce a large uh, group of cases um, which has allowed us to uh, be more sure in our classification um, of the shunts uh, that we've described. What did you find out and how has it helped us to think about the way that shunts are classified? The studies uh, so far have allowed us to produce a number of uh, exciting conclusions. Um, firstly, uh, I think we have confirmed that there are a, a number of classic shunt types, three in total. One is the shunt type that enters the caudal vena cava at the level of the epiplotic foramen, and that's classically been called a uh, splenocaval shunt. The second is a shunt type that enters the left phrenic vein, and we've been able to classify that as a left gastrophrenic shunt. And the third is a shunt type that enters the azygous vein, and that has been classified as a left gastroazygous vein shunt. In addition, we appear to have confirmed our original thoughts that the majority of these shunts are just a very small anastomosis between what is essentially a normal portal vessel and a systemic vein. In addition, uh, our studies appear to confirm that the portal venous system has no, no valves. This uh, produces another important uh, finding in the fact that the blood flow through the portal system in cases with portosystemic shunts appears to be able to go either in a normal hepatopetal direction or in an abnormal hepatofugal direction. The presence of the shunt itself um, in a part of the portal system which is abnormal produces uh, preferential blood flow through the portal system, uh, which is the mechanism by which we then see this abnormal hepatofugal flow. That then appears to produce dilation of the affected vessels leading to the classic IOMP gross surgical findings uh, and findings on CTA um, that we've seen. This supports uh, very clearly our original view that the most of these extrapatic shunts are in fact normal vasculature with abnormal blood flow, this preferential blood flow that I've talked about, 
Um, and then the actual shunt itself is just a very local anastomosis between a portal vessel and a systemic vein. Lastly, um, and what was somewhat surprising, is that the combination of data that we've uh, accumulated, uh, but predominantly using the CTA data that we accumulated, we've been able to show that the vessel uh, which communicates with the systemic vessels, so the shunting vessel itself, um, is almost invariably the left gastric vein. Presumably this means that the embryological development of this specific vein is very important uh, in both normal portal vessel development and, uh, in our case, in abnormal uh, development of extrapatic portosystemic shunts in the animals that we've observed.